Hello everyone, welcome. Thank you for inviting us into your space today. Hey, we have a lot of things that are going on here and if you have not downloaded our app yet, please make sure to do so. We've got lots of things going on um, throughout the summer, so you'll wanna check those out. And if you are exclusively online, maybe you're not in a uh, geographic location to attend here, uh, look at our online groups. We've got a few of those that you can join and just stay connected throughout the week. Um, be sure to stay after the message uh, today because Alan Stetson and I are going to sit down and kind of talk about um, just this book of John and uh, where we've been going on this journey together. So enjoy. Hey, Christ community, so glad you are connecting with us today. I am grateful to be a part of your spiritual journey. I'd really like to pray for us um, and our time together. Uh, so Father, would you speak to us from your word would you quiet our hearts that we would hear your voice in the midst of all the chaos of our lives? And so we open our hearts to you, God. And I also wanna just pray, um, just a, a prayer that's just stirring in my heart. I just felt the need to write it out and pray it with you as you're watching. So please, just pray with me, but this is, this is stirring in my heart the last few days. Father, we thank you that you are a God who values life. Each and every person, no matter what age, skin color, ethnicity, income, disability, every person matters to you. Every person is created in your image and has dignity and value. So God, in light of this, my heart is breaking over the ways in our society where life is not valued, where supermarkets become places where hatred leads to the murder of innocent people, where a mother's womb is one of the most dangerous places for a child to be. It grieves my heart that as in our state of Colorado, as of April 4th, a baby can now be aborted up to the moment of birth what kind of a society treats its most vulnerable in that way? Our hearts are grieved for the millions of Ukrainians who have fled for their lives and for the thousands of civilians that have been murdered all because of a power-hungry dictator who quotes scripture as his justification. Oh God, we need you to move. We need you to move. We are sorry for the ways that we have not loved like you love. We have not honored and valued the dignity of all people the way you do. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our state. Forgive our nation for its callous disregard for life. We cry out to you for justice, for mercy, for compassion. We pray for our leaders to have the courage to protect the lives of all people, especially those who have no voice and those who are victims of injustice and oppression. So God, God have mercy upon us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we as a church are continuing a very significant spiritual journey through the book of John, which is a unique, poetic, provocative eyewitness description of who Jesus is. John, as one of Jesus' followers, wanted everyone to know about this Jesus so that their lives would be transformed by him. That's why he wrote this book. 
Now, we just finished chapter one, uh, where we saw this powerful description of who Jesus is as the word who became flesh and the lamb of God, who immerses us in the Holy Spirit and invites us to follow him. That's chapter one. Well, chapter two begins with John describing for us the first recorded miracle of Jesus. John refers to this as a sign. In other words, it is something that points us to a clearer understanding of who Jesus is. Now, here's what is so fascinating about this particular passage. When we think about Jesus' miracles, we typically think about things like him healing a blind person or a demonized person or raising someone from the dead or you know, calming a life-threatening storm. And we immediately think of these dramatic, life-changing miracles that happen to people in the midst of life and death situations. But in John 2, John tells us about a miracle that occurred at a wedding reception when two newly married teenagers ran out of wine for their guests. I love that. It's like John is wanting us to understand that Jesus is willing to enter into every area of our lives. He is not this super spiritual being that sits on a mountain and waits for people to come to him where he can dispense wisdom. No, he hangs out at parties. He attends weddings. He dwells among us and brings life into the everyday places of our lives. So let's explore this passage and what it communicates to us. And let me just say, studying this passage has had a profound impact upon me. I'm excited to share with you what God has been speaking to me about from this passage. All right, John chapter two, beginning in verse one. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Okay, here's Jesus attending a wedding in a small village in Galilee. Now we're told by John that this wedding occurred on the third day. Now John is not one to just write things without there being a reason. And I believe John is creatively pointing us backwards and forwards. First backwards, in the creation account in Genesis 1, it was the, the third day on which God created trees and plants that bear fruit, including grapevines. I mean, think of the miracle that Jesus is about to do on the third day of the week, uh, what he's going to create. Also, Jewish couples would often get married on the third day of the week, on Tuesday, because in Genesis 1, this third day is the only day that receives a double blessing. You can check it out for yourself. On the third day, God twice declares his creation to be good. And I also think John is using this language to point us forward to another reality in the future that he mentioned, he actually mentions two other times in chapter two, in this chapter, and that is Jesus' claim that he will restore the temple in three days, referring to his resurrection. See, I think this third day language of John in verse one is sowing a seed that something resurrection-like is about to happen. All right, so we're told here that Jesus' mother, Mary, was at the wedding and that Jesus and his disciples were also invited. Now, weddings in that culture were a big deal. Friends, family members were invited as well as the community as a whole. And after the actual ceremony, everyone would travel to the groom's home where this festival banquet was held. This huge celebration often lasted multiple days. I will never, ever again complain about a wedding reception going on too long. Uh, next verse. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, in our culture, this would be a pretty minor thing. I mean, running out of alcohol at some point. But in Jesus' day, this would be a huge social faux pas. Hospitality was super important. It was a really big deal 
to host a great party and make sure that everyone is well taken care of. So a mistake like this, running out of wine at a wedding reception, was a shameful embarrassment that people would be talking about for decades, okay? So that's the situation. Um, Ordinary wedding, lots of people there, bride and groom are enjoying the festivities, but unfortunately they run out of wine. Now, when Jesus' mother finds out, she says to Jesus, they have no more wine. Now, this is where some significant interpretive challenges arise in this passage. When she says this to Jesus, Jesus responds in a very enigmatic way, a way that for our ears sounds very un-Jesus-like. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. The literal language used here is what to me and to you. It was an idiom that was used in that day, but it doesn't translate very well. Honestly, we don't know exactly what it means, but on the surface, it doesn't sound very nice. Now, when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, he's talking about his crucifixion. So a number of scholars um, explain Jesus' um, seemingly cold response in terms of him sort of, you know, Mary says this to him when he's kind of brooding about his crucifixion. And then they also explain that Jesus was differentiating himself from his mother in a healthy way, letting her know she doesn't control him. But then he does respond to a request showing that he honors her. I mean, that certainly could be what's happening here. But I personally find that explanation to be a bit wanting. It doesn't really make sense to me that Jesus would be so focused on his crucifixion that is still three years away. And also that Jesus responds by basically saying, why are you bothering me with this? But then he goes ahead and does this miracle. So in in my study of this passage, I came across another possible explanation that I heard a pastor share. And I think it, it, it makes way more sense to me. All right, so notice Mary doesn't come to Jesus demanding or requesting anything. Technically speaking, she just makes an observation. They have no more wine. Perhaps her heart is filled with pity about how horrible this is for this young couple getting married, but she doesn't ask Jesus to do anything about this. She just mentions the situation. So then Jesus says, what's that to me and to you? I've got plenty of time. My hour is not yet come. I can do something here. It would be like my wife and I eating in a restaurant and Rayleigh notices that a young teenage couple is sitting nearby dressed up for prom and they're having trouble with their credit cards so they can't pay for the meal and, and they look very stressed. And so Raylene says to me, they can't pay for their meal. And I respond by saying, ah, what's that to you and me? This is not a big deal for us to fix. We've got money to help alleviate this. See, again, this, when Jesus says his hour is not yet come, He's referring to something that is still nearly three years away, which means he has time and resources to help. So when Mary casually mentions this situation, his response is, what's this to us? We can do something here. I can help. Which to me makes way more sense in the next verse. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Whatever Mary heard Jesus say, it evidently communicated to her that Jesus was very willing to do something. So she turns to some servants who were standing there and she says to them, do whatever he tells you. Verse six, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. 
Now, Jesus uses some very large jars nearby. He sees some very large jars nearby that were used um, for Jewish ceremonial cleansing. They were probably jars that that were used to fill the mikvah, which was basically like a baptistry. When a Jewish person needed to be ceremonially cleansed, they would go to the mikvah and they were immersed. It was a religious practice of cleansing. Now, John mentioning these jars, that these jars were used for ceremonial cleansing is an important detail that we're going to get to in a minute. So Jesus tells these servants to fill these jars with water, which they do. Verse eight, then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay, can you, can you, can you imagine being one of those servants, being told to draw water from a jar and then to go take this to the person in front of the whole wedding celebration, the reception. I mean, talk about the potential for major embarrassment, but they do it. They do it. Verse eight, they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus took 120 gallons of ceremonial water and turned it into a thousand bottles of the best Cabernet available. I mean, this is absolutely astounding. And clearly John realizes this. He describes this as the first sign that revealed Jesus' glory. For John, this sign was not simply first chronologically No, the first of something is usually primary. It's significant. See, John wants us to understand that this is about so much more than Jesus simply rescuing a wedding from social disaster. This is about who Jesus is and the kind of kingdom that he is ushering in as the Messiah. All right, so what specifically does this sign point to? Well, for one thing, this miracle shows us that Jesus is all about grace rather than religious ritual. As I mentioned a moment ago, the writer, or excuse me, the, 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 um, the, the water in these ceremonial jars was used by people for religious observance to get ceremonial, ceremonially cleansed in order to worship. And so the underlying message of this whole system of cleansing and all that is this, I have to do this religious thing in order to be acceptable to God. That's religion. What do I need to do in order to earn God's favor? What do I need to do in order to be holy enough to enter into God's presence? So Jesus takes this water that symbolizes our attempts to deal with our sin problem, and he makes that water obsolete. He takes what is used for cleansing, and he turns it into something to be used for celebrating. He turns water into the best wine. That's grace. That's grace. Grace takes our best efforts at becoming acceptable to God and turns that into something amazing that we receive as a gift. We didn't do anything to earn it. We just get to enjoy it. That's the new kingdom Jesus is ushering in. And it is earth shattering in its significance. This miracle points us to this foundational aspect of this new kingdom that Jesus brings. It is rooted in grace. 
Another thing this miracle, this sign points us towards is the reality that Jesus is Lord of creation. He has in his power, the ability at a molecular level to transform the basic substance of water into an aged wine. I mean, this is crazy. This is miraculous. Wine requires aging in order for it to be the best wine. As Lord of creation, Jesus can shift and alter the natural order of things in order to accomplish his purposes. He can speed up the process of time if needed. I mean, this is mind blowing, but John is saying, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is a God of miracles. John wants us to understand this, to realize that Jesus is able to do things that are beyond our wildest imagination. A third thing this miracle reveals to us about Jesus is that Jesus is a God of abundant provision. Here is this couple in desperate need and they're all out of resources. They have run out of wine and there is no immediate accessible, immediately accessible solution. They didn't have a total beverage around the corner. They didn't have immediate access to a solution. I mean, Raylene, Raylene and I have a son getting married in two weeks and I feel the stress that he and his fiance are carrying. I mean, just trying to make sure all the details are taken care of. So as I've been studying this passage, I feel at a personal level, how stressful and desperate this situation must have been for this young, newly married couple. Their wedding reception was on the verge of turning into a total disaster. And then Jesus stepped in. And he didn't just provide a few bottles of cheap watered down wine to keep the party going at a bare minimum. No, Jesus provide an abundance of wine and the best wine at that. This just shows us the heart and the capacity of Jesus to provide above and beyond what we need. I'm reminded of Paul's words in Ephesians 3:20, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory. God receives glory in pouring out his abundant provision. This is the kind of God he is. I don't know what kind of provision you need right now. It could be financial, it could be spiritual or emotional. This story in John 2 reminds us that our God is able to provide what we need and more. He is able to turn a marriage around. He is able to help us walk in freedom from an addiction. He is able to forgive our most horrible sin. He is able to provide in abundance. Look, I realize how so often I forget this personally. I forget this. I start to live in this poverty mindset. Oh, there is enough. I, I need to cling. I need to hoard. I need to hurry and invest in this or that or buy a home now before the market goes up anymore or whatever. I mean, this poverty mindset can easily start to creep into our lives and we lose sight of this Jesus that we're following. He turns water into wine. He is a God of abundance. The other thing I think John wants us to see about Jesus in this passage is that Jesus brings joy. I mean, so often in scripture, wine is used to speak of joy and celebration. So here is Jesus miraculously providing the best wine so that a celebration can continue. And what kind of a God is this? It's a God who loves a good party a God who loves to bring joy into our lives. I mean, isn't it interesting how so often in the Bible, God talks about heaven in terms of a banquet, a banquet. 
with an abundance of wine and food for everyone around the table. There is laughter and dancing. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of Jesus' mission. Hebrews 12 says, for the, it's for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In this miracle, Jesus is showing us that joy is at the center of what all of history is striving towards. Jesus shows us in this miracle how he is able to restore all things. He is able to to bring about a new creation. I mean, this is what he does, whether he's at a wedding or he's bringing about God's ultimate purposes on earth. This is what he does. And you know, when I see so many Christians living in this alarm and panic at the state of the world today, I wonder if we have lost sight of the savior that we're following. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in a Jesus who turns water into wine, who enters into everyday situations and also who promises to make all things new. So this passage points us to a Jesus who is able to enter into our everyday lives and bring grace and bring miracles and provision and joy. But here's the question. How do we walk in these realities, right? How can we make these realities of who Jesus is a more regular part of our lives? Well, great question. We see the answer to that question in this passage. There are two absolutely essential things we can do to increasingly experience Jesus in our everyday lives. First, invite Jesus into every situation. Invite Jesus into every situation. We don't know hardly anything about this newly married couple in John 2, but we do know one thing. They invited Jesus to their wedding. Somehow he made it onto their guest list. And because of that, when the crisis occurred, he was there and was able to do a miracle. He was able to help them in that situation. Does Jesus have an open invitation into every area of your life? Are you inviting him into your career? Are you inviting him into your marriage? Are you inviting him into your relationships, your decisions, your struggles? I recently had a spiritual wake-up call in the midst of a conversation with a friend. This person is on fire for God. And as I was talking with him, I realized my spiritual life has been on autopilot. My prayer life has been just a couple of minutes here and there, looking at my phone while trying to pray. I realized how I've I've let busyness just squeeze out my passion for Jesus. I realized how I've not been inviting Jesus into the nitty gritty of my everyday life. It's been more like a five minute check in here and there. So immediately after that conversation with this person, I went to the Lord, I went before the Lord and I repented of my spiritual apathy, the spiritual lethargy that I have settled into. And I feel like new wine is being poured into my life as I've been making more time for Jesus. Now, part of that experience for me leads into the second crucial aspect of experiencing this Jesus in our everyday lives. It's, it's found in the words of Jesus' mother, after he and her had that sort of confusing conversation, remember what she says to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. This is some amazing and life-changing advice. You wanna wanna encounter Jesus in your everyday life? Then do whatever Jesus tells you to do. 
This miracle would not have happened if the servants had said to Jesus, ah, I don't think so. That's too weird. That would be too embarrassing. I think I'll just pass. But that's not what happened. The servants did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And as a result, they witnessed and were part of a miracle. You know, I wonder sometimes if, 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 if the reason we don't feel like we're experiencing Jesus much is because we're not really taking the time to listen to his voice and obey what he says. So in the midst of my spiritual wake-up call a few weeks ago, I had a pretty dramatic experience of this. So I, I had for months been wondering about my involvement in a group that I've been a part of for a number of years. It's a group of pastors from around the country who are exploring together what it looks like to be a word and spirit church. In other words, a church that is rooted in the Bible and yet also open to the ministry of the spirit. So I'd been involved in founding this group several years ago, but recently I'd kind of been pulling back and not really engaging very much. And I, I just felt like I didn't have a clear sense from the Lord about what my role was supposed to be. So for months, I had just been in this place of indecision and apathy, just kind of kicking the can down the road, but never really making a decision about it. Just apathy, indecision. So um, after my conversation with that, that friend I mentioned before, that evening, I was just talking to Raylene about what happened. And as a part of our conversation, I just... I just told her that about this word and spirit group, I just didn't have any kind of sense of direction. And, and she, so she said to me, have you, so have you spent some time to be alone with Jesus and ask him what he wants you to do? And I said, well, I sort of have, but I haven't really felt any direction. And she said, have you taken out your journal and written at the top of the page of the journal, the question you want to ask Jesus? And then have you just listened and written down whatever you hear him say, whatever you sense? And I admitted I hadn't done that. I used to do that all the time, but I hadn't in quite a while. So the next day I carved out about an hour to spend with Jesus. And I started by quieting my heart with some stillness. And then I worshiped the Lord for a few minutes with a kind of a YouTube video. And then I pulled out my journal and I wrote at the top of the page, God, what is my role in this word and spirit group? And then I just began writing whatever came to my mind, what I sensed Jesus saying to me. And in about five minutes, I had an answer. I had a clear answer. I felt like God was wanting me to stop passively abdicating my leadership and instead to own it and to re-step into leading that group. So I immediately texted the guy who had been kind of stepping into the leadership role. And he said, finally, I've known this for months. I was just waiting for you to hear from God about this. Man, I, I felt a new, I just feel right now, I feel a new energy and excitement about that ministry and my role in it. I wonder how often, friends, how often are we missing out on everyday encounters with Jesus because we're not inviting him into these places. We're not listening to his voice and saying yes to whatever he wants us to do. Look, I don't know about you, but God is using this passage in my life to stir in my heart a longing for new wine, a longing for more of Jesus in my everyday life. I don't wanna play church. I don't want to let apathy and indifference become my new spiritual normal. I want this third day experience in my own life. I want more of Jesus. I want more of his grace. I want more of his miracles. I want more of his joy. All of that is available to us. The question is, are you willing? 
Are you willing to invite Jesus into every area of your life? And are you willing to say yes to whatever he is telling you to do? I mean, if so, that, my friends, is a recipe for awakening in our lives, for Jesus to bring life and energy into these places where we feel dry, where we feel stuck, where we need these ordinary vessels to be filled with new wine. (laughs) Would you pray with me? So as we quiet our hearts, uh, let me just ask, how would you describe your spiritual life right now? Is it on fire? Is it lukewarm? Is it kind of cold? Do you feel apathetic? Do you feel distracted? Do you feel stuck? in a place of busyness or lethargy or whatever. So as you think about where your spiritual life is right now, what is Jesus stirring in your heart right now? Maybe he's rekindling a passion. He is stirring in your heart a rekindled love for him, a longing for more of his grace, more of his miracles, his joy, his abundance, his healing. So I want you to take a moment right now. And let me just ask, are you willing to invite him into that area where you feel stuck? where you feel discouraged, where you feel at the end of your rope, where you feel apathetic or overwhelmed. Just do that right now. Invite Jesus into that place. Jesus, would you release your abundance? Would you release your healing? Would you release your life and joy into those places where we just invited you into? And now, second question. Are you willing to listen to his voice and say yes to whatever he is asking you to do? Just take a moment and do that. Say yes to him. Jesus, we say yes to you. To this God who enters into a long standard into our everyday lives to the nitty gritty, to the discouragement, all the things we we experience. You long to enter into those places. And so we invite you into those places and we say yes to whatever you're calling us to do. And as we follow in obedience, we want to encounter you more and more, God. Would you release life and miracles and encounters more and more in our lives as we continue to listen to your voice and to say yes to whatever you're calling us to do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys. 
Thanks for joining us. It's like the show after the show is how right. I feel this is. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling Stetson, I'm really excited that we get this one in yeah. particular. It's beautiful. It is beautiful, Alan. And I, I would love for you to kind of unpack your journey a little bit going into this because you said this one was really exciting. Like it excited me, you know, mm -hmm. to preach on this. So I would love to hear. Yeah, it was kind of surprising. That's probably, it was just surprising because I, I don't know if I've ever preached on this passage, but you, everyone's familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus turning water right. to wine. Right. Right. You know, it, it feels a little like odd. Um, and so I think I was surprised in studying the passage that it was actually bringing life to me mm. and stirring in me desires for newness in my own life, you know, and it kind of perfectly aligned with the conversation that I mentioned in the sermon and some things kind of happening in my own life and our staff team and things. And that was just kind of a cool, um, a cool thing, you know, for me. That's awesome. So, yeah, I was surprised. There's this podcast and they talk about, uh, I don't know if they came up with this term or learned it, but it's like the lullaby effect where you hear a story in the Bible so many times, you just begin to accept it of like, Oh, yeah, of course it happened that way. And you stop questioning anything about it. Yeah. And I love, yeah, and I love how in this series it's breaking us out of the lullaby You're effect. Right. Like last week, it's like, oh, yeah, a few people followed Jesus. And it's like, oh, no, 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 there's so much more. It's like yes. water to wine. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, what? And so yeah. it's really, really awesome. I love that. Something that, that you mentioned along those lines that uh, was different from the way I had always heard it was it felt like Jesus's hesitation or just like questioning to do anything. I thought that was motivated by him almost like wanting to hide mm -hmm. and not reveal himself publicly too soon. Mm -hmm. But I love the perspective that you bring in where it's more of just kind of like this open perspective of like, oh yeah, we have time and I, I, I can do something here. That was so eye-opening to me. That passage, that's one other thing in this passage. Just, I just never understood the interaction between right. the two. Yeah. Because the next, in the same chapter next week, he's going to go to the temple and turn over tables. What's yep. he, he's not hiding from anything <laughs> right. in that narrative. Yeah. He's yeah. not trying to be secretive. Um, and so then these explanations, well, he's kind of brooding. It's, it's a wedding, and so he's sort of brooding about, you know, the— in three years, the crucifixion, and that links to his wedding, you know, that kind of a thing symbolically and all that stuff. And so he's in a kind of a bad mood because he's brooding about that. But then he he does kind of something, even though he tells her why you bother. It, it just never, mm -hmm. it just never made sense yep. to the way that I think you're, what you're describing too of Jesus is a yes, right? He's right. willing. Are you, you know, are you willing? And yes, I'm willing. Be clean. You know, that kind of a Jesus. Yeah. And so that's where, when I heard this other explanation, I was like, that fits so much better yeah. in my understanding of even the passage, <clears throat> the way it works, and his mo the interaction yeah. with his mom. Yeah. And, and on that note, like, it almost feels like this isn't the, it feels like, I could be wrong here, but it feels like if that's the case, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. Mm -hmm. And it kind of re-stirred up that curiosity mm -hmm. I've always had of, like, why do the stories about him always start here? What happened, like, from right. the age of 12 to 30? Right. Like, were there more situations <laughs> like this? They don't want to talk about it. You know? <laughs> like, was Mary, like, just kind of, like, winking at Jesus of, like, okay. You, do your thing. I yes. know you can help out yes. here. Like, kind of a thing. But it, that, 
I also love kind of what you brought in of like Mary just kind of bringing up the situation as yeah. just kind of like open-handed. Yeah. It was just like noticing. Yeah. Right. Because I think a lot of the interpretations too, it's like she's a Jewish mother who's kind of manipulated. Oh, you know what I mean? Man. Sort of no that. No way. That's terrible. Yeah. Trying no to get him married. Kind of, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. That's awful. Just sort of, you know what I mean? But kind of that stereotypical, mm -hmm. you know, idea. Right. And it just like, that's not in the passage. It doesn't. Yeah. All she right. did was say there's no more wine. And people read into it all this. She's sort of there's subtly trying to get her. There's agenda. speculation and then there's projection and there's a difference. <laughs> exactly. in that. People need to repent of, <laughs> of mother-in-law issues or, mother right. or something. What is she know. doing here? I think I think what I do love about the book of John and what we're seeing kind of goes back to what KJ was talking about in the intro, where he did talk about there is so much of this like well, this is what I think, and this is what I think, you know. And there's so much discovery in that, mm -hmm. you know. Like, you just don't go, maybe I'm wrong, you know. But it's fun to discover through his stories what is he really wanting to say here, mm -hmm. you know. It's like a, yeah, it's, and I'm not into art, but I know mm -hmm. some people are. I know KJ and others probably are. Mm -hmm. But it's that whole idea when they talk about art, you're, you're looking at a piece of art, right. and then you're, you know, you're just looking at different details. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm no expert, but that's the impression I get when people admire art. And they're trying, well, I think it means this. Well, right. I think it means this. And they're trying to get to what the author is mm -hmm. communicating. Mm -hmm. And and we're not saying that John isn't, you know, isn't clear right. about his communication. But he does write in a very poetic way. Mm -hmm. And in that, when that's the case, then you look at something like, on the third day, Jesus attended a wedding in right. Cana of Galilee, and you stop and think, I wonder if there's more yes. to that, because it doesn't really fit the narrative in chapter one. I didn't take the time to go in this, but if you look at it, there are like three times in chapter one it says, and the next day, and the next day, John the Baptist, and then the next day, these two disciples, mm. you know, and it's like, it doesn't even work just chronologically yep. right. unless you're trying to fit all these things on more than one day he saw John the Baptist and you know it just and I think I don't think that's what John is doing I don't think he's connecting it to chapter one I think he's connecting it to later in chapter two when he mm -hmm. Jesus makes that claim destroy this temple I'll raise again in three days twice he says that in chapter two so I think that's the fun part of yeah when you start realizing John tends to be more poetic then you slow down and you, say, you're maybe forced there is, to slow down. Yes, yeah. maybe there's something here. Why did he mention it was the third day? Yeah, and that just that becomes kind of fun, right? You know, um, yeah. I didn't know about Jewish weddings often being on Tuesday because I didn't, of, I didn't know yeah. Genesis. I didn't know that. Did you know that the third no. day was doubly blessed? No, I didn't know that. I did not know that. So <laughs> when you read Genesis one, chapter uh, verse, uh, excuse me, day two, uh -huh. God doesn't say. And it was good. Mm. See, I thought he just said, "Don't it. get married on a Monday." <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so <laughs> that does add more to the that's whole Monday so thing. Why Monday is such a hard, difficult day? Is your son's wedding on a Monday? Okay, <laughs> no. good. Saturday. Might be changing <laughs> Saturday. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" So then I look, and sure enough, I'm reading. I've read Genesis one dozens of times, um, and there it is. Day two, That's it so doesn't cool. say God said it was good, but on day three, he says it twice. Wow. 
And so, and how awesome. many times do we just glue? Exactly. But John's taking us back. <laughs> right. And you think of just how the Jew Jewish people would approach Scripture yep. and the way they would meditate on Scripture and right. talk about it, and yep. over these conversations, that that realization: what does that mean? Well, the third day must be doubly blessed, and so then they begin to apply that in some creative ways in their lives. Right. Which is it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, that's so cool. You did a really beautiful job and kind of describing what it would look like to invite Jesus into our life and our situations. And you mentioned something that I, I haven't been able to shake. Like you, in the story, you pointed out that Mary is noticing something that's going on in someone else's life. Yep. And like you use this illustration of like being at a restaurant and seeing somebody else. And it got me thinking, it's like, what would it look like to invite Jesus into other people's situations? Oh, wow. Like you see something going on in someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And then kind of in the same way that Mary did, just like being in a place where you feel like you even talked about this and just like reconnecting with God and what that journey has been like for you lately. But just getting into this place where you're sitting at the same table with Jesus and then just acknowledging what you're noticing. It's like, this is happening to my friend over here. And then being in a posture of listening. What's that to me and to you? Let's do right, something exactly. about it. I love that. And, and I love his response to that too, because in that, again, I could be reading into this, but I see this response of kind of like, when my kids notice something mm -hmm. and it's like a teaching moment, and like, I'm trying to get them to understand, it's like, what do we do as a family in this situation? Yeah. And so like, they say, oh, like this person just fell down. Mm. Or, oh yeah, this is a great example. So like my daughter Magnolia, she fell down and Edison like noticed and I said, okay, so what could we do to help? And all of a sudden he's like, oh, I can go over there and comfort her. And mm -hmm. I see that in Jesus's response of mm -hmm. like, so what do we do in situations like this? Where it's like this, like... I love that. Well, and There's Mary had, like, the physical Jesus there okay. that she she uh -huh. knew, I know you can do something. Uh -huh. So how do we get that into our mindset uh -huh. of, uh -huh. Jesus, I know you can do something, uh -huh. you know? Rather than, what can I do, too? But, right. yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's like Mary pulled Jesus into that situation. Uh -huh. Yeah. She was important in him being pulled into the situation, just like we would be important if we notice something going on. We invite Jesus yes. in and to do something about that, right? Mm -hmm. so, and just, yeah, and just like you mentioned earlier, we like this mis this terrible misconception about Mary and her right. agenda. But like, we can't <laughs> leverage Jesus towards our own agenda. But it is we in this posture, like we it's do it this, all the time, it's yeah. this like experiment of like belief and faith of like, okay, get the sense something can happen here. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what, and it's just kind of opening this up to Jesus is like. Oh, this is happening and then waiting for him to say, so what do we do here? Mm -hmm. And then like watching him do something. That's so cool to look at the story through the lens of Mary because that opens up a whole oh, new, if, if you were Mary and you're noticing, so it just opens up a whole other realm of application. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. I like that. I would love to also just touch on where you talked about it is bringing, bringing Jesus into every you know situation like this, but also I so appreciate 
for me personally, the vulnerability you had about talking about the reconnecting, you know, and, you know, finding that or feeling that lethargy because, you know, even in some past times we've had as a group and stuff, you opening up about that has really just made me start being like, I think I, I think I have that tendency and I'm there as well. And just giving that permission to talk about it Uh and to be like, so what now, you know? What now? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it was cool how those two things were just happening while I was looking at that passage. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it spoke to me. And, and so I love when that happens. We've talked before, Stetson, about just ideally when we're preaching a message, that's the question we want to mm-hmm. ask ask is how is this passage impacting yep. me before I'm going to yep. talk to anyone else about it. <laughs> yep. How is this impacting me? And this is one of those weeks yeah. where, wow, there were like real time That's ways so cool. that it was kind of alongside. I was studying and then living life and um, alongside and noticed, noticing these connections and suddenly ended up just stirring in me mm-hmm. the very thing that um, was happening in, you know, in my everyday life. It was really, it was really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. We just took on um, kind of this motto or tagline. You you know, you, you two would know the word. The experiencing experience life. life. Experience yeah. life. What's yes. the technical yeah. word? Is that our... That, that's it. You got it. Our motto? Tagline? What oh, is it? Oh, the like, yeah, it's kind of like our purpose as yeah, a church. Yeah, this right? is just it's like who we life. are. And like that came up a lot in this passage. Mm-hmm. And you pointed out of like... Jesus, like, taking the ceremonial thing, which is good and it's beautiful, but almost communicating. It's like, okay, we've done that. Now, let's spend time together and experience life Life. Mm. together. And I Mm. I was talking to someone in the lobby, and he has a Jewish background. He's Jewish. And he was talking to his mom about how he uh, has started going to our church. And uh, he said in that conversation, she said, they forgot to have how they forgot how to have fun, haven't they? And he's like, "Yeah, they have." Because like all these wow. feasts and celebrations exactly. and like dancing, yes, and like Purim mm-hmm. happened like a month or two ago, and like it's like the stuff that they get together to do during that time is like it sounds so fun. Like I'm jealous of it, <laughs> and I see that heart in Jesus. And like in the beginning, like when God is teaching His people, like what to do within this book of laws are like, you are required to party here and here and here and here. This is the law. <laughs> like I command you okay. to party. And seeing God's heart in Jesus in the situation too of like, oh, we can't let this stop. Like right. this must continue in this heart of celebration and mm. joy and having fun. And yeah. Leaving my side comment in that message about, man, I'll never complain about the link of a wedding reception <laughs> right. again. But that's so me. But it's like the Jews were not, they were not complaining about a long wedding reception. They were enjoying we it, right? Yeah. It took multiple days. I mean, it's just a totally different culture. Yeah. And, the, mm-hmm. and the dancing, I, I do. There's a part of me that is jealous about that, mm-hmm. the, uh, that experience mm-hmm. of their their religion, mm-hmm. um, certain ones where they're dancing and, you know, those 
Jewish dancers, the Christian yeah. Jewish dancers. Yeah. If they remember at the parade. The, oh right. Yeah. You yeah. Know, they would do to you know doing those dances, and I was like, wow, that is so celebrative and joyful. Mm-hmm. And you isn't know? it funny how we see that? We're jealous of it. We long for it, but we can't get ourselves to do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's what is that embarrassment or that or something that self consciousness or even selfishness of like when do we go you know kind of thing but it's for a reason too it's like the heart of god isn't just reckless abandon it's a party (laughs) but it's like no it's like in the same way it's like because had had they done had they used those basins like did they wash as they came in to the wedding or no well it sounds like i don't think they were filled with water at the time, I think he had them. Didn't he have go them fill, fill, go fill them yeah, water? Yeah, go so fill I don't think with they were water. You like used in that way, but they were probably used. Some people speculate they were used to actually fill a baptist, kind of a mikvah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a baptistry. So yeah, well, it, it's again like the heart of God isn't like let's just let loose and go, but it's like no, it's like the people dancing in the parade is for a reason. Yeah, you're right, and it's like yeah. Jesus is saying more wine because there's something to celebrate yeah. here. Oh, that's and, good. and we can't separate those two of like everything that the water in those basins represents is true. And it's not like we don't do this anymore. It's like, no, it has been done Yes, forever. Let's celebrate. Amen. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you guys. This yeah. is good. I'm thank so you. excited for this series. I'm I'm cool. loving it. Mm-hmm. Loving, loving yeah, it. It's been so fun. you guys are doing it a is fantastic fun. job. So cool. thank you Thanks. guys. We hope you have a great week. <laughs>